Good evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. It's a great day to be alive. Welcome to Sunday night, New Creation Church. If you're watching us live stream, we're glad that you're with us as well. I believe that God has some great things for us tonight. Youth, you can be dismissed to your meeting. Praise the Lord. Why don't you all greet uh, two or three people around you. Give them a hand as they go. Glory to God. the Lord. Once again, it's good to see everybody tonight. And uh, if you weren't with us this morning, I just want to let you know, um, praise the Lord, as of this week, uh, all of the properties, all the buildings, everything that we have is paid for. Amen. Praise the Lord. God's good. And uh, we've been believing for that, and uh, it's a great thing, and uh, praise the Lord. And then also this morning, we let you know, and uh, as we prepare to receive our morning tithes and offerings, you can get in on this uh, with us. Uh, we Missionaries that we've supported uh, really since the early 90s, mid-90s in Romania, Max and Becky Dom, uh, we showed a video this morning. They are taking in refugees from Ukraine as they come across the border, and so uh, we are uh, going to help them do that, be able to send them offerings. If you want to participate in that as we take the offering tonight, just put Ukraine or missions on the memo line of your check, or if you're uh, giving online or by uh, uh, text giving, uh, just put missions, and so if it comes in missions today, um, we're going to send that to them to help those refugees uh, in the Ukraine, and so we always appreciate uh, your generosity, your giving uh, really accomplishing, helping us accomplish the things that God has for us to do, not only here and from this uh, building, but outside of this building. We support other ministries in our local community, as well as in the nation and in the world. And so the Bible told us to go out and preach the gospel in our Jerusalem, our Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so uh, it moves forward and continues to move forward because y'all are generous. Amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, if you weren't here this morning or you weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, I want to give you an opportunity to give as well as if you're moved to give into, into that, just put missions, uh, Ukraine or, or Romania on that line. We'll make sure that it gets in the right place and gets to them. Praise the Lord. The number is up there. If you're giving by text giving, if you're making out a check, uh, make it out to New Creation Church. And if you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, the ushers are here looking uh, to give you an envelope. Just raise your hand. They will give you an envelope. And... Uh, Praise the Lord. God is good. Mercy endures forever and ever. Yes, all the time. All the time he's good. No matter what the circumstance or situation, the circumstance might be bad, God's still good. Situation you get into might be bad, but God is still good. Amen. All right, we ready? Father, we thank you once again. Uh, every opportunity that we have to give and to enter into and declare the covenant relationship that we have with you. We come before you to give, Lord. We give out of resources that are in our life because we're in covenant with you. Everything that we have belongs to you. But we also understand that everything that you have belongs to us. We're in a divine covenant relationship, and we acknowledge that through tithes and offerings that we give. 
doesn't belong to us, it belongs to you. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for every opportunity we have to give. And your word declares that it comes back to the giver. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, that you supply our every need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so we thank you for that. We declare it's the best year ever for each and every one. We're moving forward. Though the circumstances around us may seem negative and seem like it's not going to be a good year for some, we thank you, Lord, that your hand moves upon each one It's the best year, not just financially, but emotionally and physically, spiritually, the best year that we've ever had. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and pass those buckets. Thank you. After the bucket goes by, you can open your Bibles to Romans, the fourth chapter. Romans, the fourth chapter. We have, on Sunday night, we're going through the book of Romans, and uh, there is so much in here. It's pretty much... uh, power packed. And when we get into, you know, we went to Romans chapter one, Paul's greeting to them. And and as he greeted them, he just, you know, just expressed his longing to be with them because when we come together and we're joined together, there should be a mutual building up of our faith. And so, you know, it really, you know, in his instance, he was in jail and he was hoping to be with them, but to communicate and really to impart something spiritual to them, but he longed to be with them because as their faith grew, and Paul wrote this to really every, uh, almost every single church he wrote to, if not every church, he always said that when I hear of your faith and your love for all of the saints, man, it just makes him pray. It gets him excited. It builds up his faith that the things that he's sharing are taking a hold of people's lives. And so, you know, as we were just saying today, you know, as we are celebrating 30 years of pastoring this church, that one of the things that has gone on through the length of time, uh, though some may come and some may go. In general, we've seen just a, a synergy that goes on that, you know, we know we can't do it without you. As we see people's lives change, bodies healed, uh, people go through situations, but they put their faith in God to carry them through it. It encourages our faith in what we do. And then hopefully we're encouraged and we share with you. And there's just a mutual building up of our faith together. And so Paul said that that's very vital. He goes in through Romans chapter one and declares to them, really he's speaking to sinners and and to the church of how this all takes place and how if we, uh, you know, we can have a a knowledge of God, but if we uh, don't retain God in our thinking, that our thought life will go to a lower way of thinking and reason out and rationalize sin that takes a hold of our life. I know that's an oversimplification, but he said, listen, when you look at creation and you look at everything that's created in the universe that's there, and even all of the, the uh, uh, you know, scientists are beginning to look as technology gets further and further, they're beginning to say there's something way bigger than us that's taking place. He said, there, there won't be anybody that stands before Jesus and says, well, I really, I really, I really didn't know, right, that there was a God because you look out and say, wow. There's a God. He said, but even though there was a knowledge of God, they refused to retain him in their thinking. And so they began to operate in all kinds of sexual immorality and and idol worship and all that. And he said, really, they they were just insistent and they were given over to a lower way of thinking. And so the Bible says that people thinking themselves to be wise become foolish. And we see it around us because of all that, that there's a knowledge of God, but people continually think they know more than God. They think they know more than the creator. All of a sudden we think, they think, think there's a it's we're really thinking way higher but they're thinking lower than the one who created them who is the creation to tell the creator how they were created right 
And so it's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. It was going on a long time ago. That's why the Bible is eternal and it stretches out because God knows the beginning from the end. He created man and he knows what sin did to mankind and how it changed his thinking, his relationships without God in their life. They're, they're, they're destined to make mistakes through relationship, through trying to fulfill something in their life because God created us to be fully filled with himself. When man sinned and that relationship with God was broken, man could not fulfill that himself, so he tried to find all those ways, and then God sent Jesus to die for us because it's the only way, the price being paid. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, and so without Jesus Christ, we can't enter that relationship. But as we do, we realize, wow, that former way of thinking that was a lower way of thinking, God has showed me by the word of God that there is something more for me. I was created to do something not on my own trying to make it happen, but in cooperation and relationship with God. And so, you know, he talked about all that sin. Then he went into Romans chapter 2 and said, we must be careful. He was speaking to the Jews and, and, and to religious people. We must be careful to begin to look at those situations and begin to point our, our finger at the world and say, well, you're just bad. You're going to go to hell. Nothing will ever happen. He said, do you despise the mercy of God? Where would everybody be if judgment just came upon our actions, but, but the mercy of God comes in, and so we ought not to judge. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Amen. So we can judge situations around us. We can look at them and know that they're not of God. They're not that situation. But to say that you are destined for failure, you're destined to be separate from God for eternity, that's for God to judge. He's merciful, right? He's ever merciful. The terrible things are going on in the world. We think, well, what, is, what in the world is God waiting for? If God's going to save everybody, why don't he just get... He's not waiting like we count, uh, you know, waiting. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting for every single person to come into a knowledge of him. He's waiting. So people get this misunderstanding that somehow God is anxious to send people to hell. At the same time, they're like, where is God? Well, God's waiting for every single person to hear and to make a choice to believe in him. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. And so that whole idea that God's looking for people to go to hell, and how could a loving God send people to hell? God's not going to send anybody to hell. People are going to choose to go to hell. God's not imputing trespasses, but he sent Jesus to reconcile us to himself. God's desire is that we be reconciled to God, that we be saved from eternal condemnation, that we be saved from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ our Lord. Some people say, well, why does it have to be through Jesus? Well, I don't know. I'm not God. But no other one, no other great teacher, no other great religious leader died on the cross, shed his blood, and raised from the dead. There's something unique about what God did in Christ to give a life for our life, to give a sinless life in exchange for sinful life, that the sinful life might be made righteous when the righteous life was tainted by our sin. It's tough to understand, but when you stand back and look at it, you say, who would do that? Only a loving God. Yet if you're not careful, you indict God for being a bad God and sending people to hell, but that's not what he was doing. Sin and the choice of man set apart man to hell, but God saw that and he sent Jesus to rescue every single person. And our part is just to believe he did that and embrace that relationship and walk in that relationship every single day. That's the good news. And so Paul shares that good news with us. 
And he goes on in chapter 3. He said, listen, there was a condition of man under Adam that there was none righteous, no, not one. But, he said, he went on through that whole Old Testament scripture, and people will say that. See, there's not one righteous. None of us can be righteous. But he said, but God, through Jesus Christ, and faith in the blood that was shed, justified us. He made us right with himself in the only way that could make us right, and that is the shedding of spotless human blood. And really, to understand the Old Testament was always from the very beginning of Adam's sin. You know, it said that, that they were clothed, he clothed them uh, with, with skins or furs of, of animals. Well, what happened? You know, if you really look at the character of God, what must have happened is there was a sacrifice that was made of an innocent animal for the sin of humanity. In other words, he was projecting that because of our sin and our guilt, innocence had to pay the price in order for us to be cleansed. And so he slain an animal and he covered them with that to, to, as a reminder that there would be, you know what, some, an animal for your clothing. You know, you thought fig leaves would be good enough. But fig leaves, your own way of doing things and figuring out how to cover yourself doesn't work. It took an animal being slain, an innocent animal, and then you being covered by the, that, that reminder that for my sin, innocent blood had to be given. And so then the law was instituted, and all of a sudden on the Day of Atonement, a lamb slain, an innocent animal, or bulls and goats, had to be slain, and that would cover your sin for one year. And it had to be going on and on and on, and all those things came. But it was all pointing to something greater. It wasn't something to get caught in. It was all pointing to something greater. And that was the ultimate lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The lamb of God, the spotless lamb, the sinless innocent human being, the son of God and the son of man, being slain and shedding his blood for us, that we might be cleansed of our sin and become the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, being made right with God through the innocent blood of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is bringing the church into this, this place of understanding that there might be faith in him. And so Romans, the fourth chapter, we're going to read uh, quite a good chunk of verses here, and then we're going to talk just a little bit about them. Starting verse 1, he says, What then shall we say? That Abraham our father has found uh, that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcision only? Or upon the uncircumcised also. For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised 
or uncircumcised. Not while circumcised, but while circumcised. <laughs> just a minute, I got thoughts running across my brain. I just got... <laughs> Verse 11. And he received a sign of circumcision as a, uh, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Say, all those who believe. Say, I'm one who believes. Though they are uncircumcised, the right, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Now, again, we talk about circumcision and all that stuff, so just to bring that in so we're, we don't get caught up on that. Really, he's talking about that's a work of the flesh, right? And so the, the Jews and, and them said, we're, we're in because we're circumcised. It, it, it's a sign of our covenant with God. We've done something in the flesh to prove that we are God's people and that we are right with God. And so Paul is coming to the Roman church and says that through Jesus Christ, it's not that work of the flesh, but it's that believing from the heart that makes you righteous. And so we embrace that, and he says that it's not really because uh, it's so that faith might be really able to access this grace or this favor of God, this ability of God, this influence of God, that it's only accessed by faith. Otherwise, it's not grace. And that's what he said. And so really he says, listen, anybody who works or is caught up in works Really, when wages come, you say, I deserve that paycheck because I've done the work. And so as we go through our life and we begin to do good deeds and we start to hear ourselves say, I deserve better. I served in the church. I studied my Bible. I prayed. I don't deserve this. We find ourselves slipping under works because works always says, you owe me, I deserve. Right? And so when we start to do that, we get caught up in this, this place of which comes first, faith or works. And so we come to the point of neither. There is, we just do away with works altogether. But he didn't do away with works altogether. And so the issue is, do we get the cart before the horse? Horse? Or do we get the horse before the cart? Do we get it in the right order? That seems to be always the confusion of not getting things in the right perspective or in the right order. Because then we just think, well, we don't have to do anything. But really to understand what he said, he said, listen, that the, the faith of Abraham wasn't circumcision. The faith of Abraham, if you understand that in Genesis, God said, and he's, you know, him and Abraham are having a conversation, and God made him a promise. And he said, well, how, what, what good is the promise? I don't even have an heir to give any promise to. And he said, whoa, wait a minute. I'm going to give you an heir. And, and Abraham didn't know how that was going to happen. And God said, I'll, I'll do this for you. Took him outside many times, said, look at the sand of the sea, the skies of the air. He said, but I'm going to give you a son. And it said right then in that conversation, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Well, he didn't just never do anything after that. 
After his faith, then, as a sign of the covenant that God made through Moses, there was circumcision. But circumcision came after that as a sign we have covenant with God, not before that. Right? Came before that. And so often we get to that place of saying, it's what I do and I deserve because I've done a lot of things. No, it's our faith in God first. It's our faith in the promise of God first. But then if no works ever come after that, our faith is not revealed. So our faith first is in Jesus and what he's done for us and how he shed his blood. But now he changed our life. And because we believed him, just as there was a believing in him and God made a covenant and there was a circumcision, things to be done, he said, if there's faith in God, then there's things to be done. Not to earn your relationship with God, not to earn your salvation, but from that relationship that we have with God, something good should be taking place. Something good should be evident. Right, And so he talks to us about that and we, if we understand which came first. And so turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, or 2, excuse me, for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 2. And we've allowed this to be a confusing thing to us. Well, should I do something? Should I get up out of my chair and do something for God? Or should I not do something for God? Because I don't want it to be works. I just want it to be faith and grace. He says, if you understand that grace has come upon you and grace is an empowerment to do what you couldn't do, then when I access what God promised me and it changes my life and I'm empowered, what am I empowered for? I'm empowered to do something better and bigger than I ever could, but it's not the cart before the horse. It's not me doing something great for God and now I deserve. No, he did something great for me so that I could fulfill what I was created to do in relationship with him right? And so it's easy to say, boy, things have been done. But when there's faith in God, we really say things have been done, but it's really always because of what God has done for me, that I'm able to do what I'm able to do for others. That's why, you know, sometimes we, we get to the point, God shows us something big, and we're like, I don't have time to do that, God. I don't have ability to do that. I've been running 90 to nothing. I, I'm too tired to do that. I can't do that. I'm just, I don't know if I can do that. Well, if you're praying about what God wants you to do, and he shows it to fit perfectly in your comfort zone, perfectly in your time schedule, perfectly in your ability, you need to stop and know that's probably not God. There you go. Because it's all, you're going to do it all for God because of your ability to do it. And so often we see things, well, I can't do that. Exactly. I'm going to need your grace to do that. And God's saying, I'm glad you saw that. And then when it's according to grace... You're not looking for the wages because you've already received empowerment. You've already received favor. You've already received influence to do that. So I couldn't have done it without him. So I'm not looking for the wages I deserve. I got what I didn't deserve to do what God created me to do. Can't get the cart before the horse. So Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 4. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised up together and made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Right? So we look at that and we say, there is of grace, not of works. We don't want to get into works. But he just says, it's not that you can boast. It's not of your own works that you can boast. But it's of grace, not of works. So we can't boast, like Paul would say. Paul says, my boasting cannot be in myself. My boasting has to be in him. But he goes on to say this. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? So he prepared us for something good. He prepared us for a good life, that we do good things for others, but we don't do those things to say, now, God, I deserve, you owe me. Has anybody ever been there? Right? I'll just be honest. I've done some things, and, and you know, things started to go a little bit stinky, a little bit south. And I'm like, wait a minute, God. Wait. I've done some things here. But then, you know, if you have the Holy Spirit, he quickly nudges you and says, wait a minute, <laughs> be careful, think about this for a minute. And really, if you ever come to that, you say, man, things are going stinky. They're going sideways, right? It stinks right now. When I say stinky, you know, it stinks. What's going on it just stinks. Why does it stink? Because it's not a victory. Victory has a nice aroma. It's like a perfume. Defeat stinks just does. And so, you know, just think about it. Have you ever said this stinks? No, I'm going through this. This just stinks. Well, then it's victory. If it stinks, it's not victory. It's defeat. So you're like, wait a minute. I've, I've done all this stuff. He says, wait a minute. There's a devil out there and he's come to kill, steal, and destroy. And right now this circumstance does stink because it's coming from him. But it's not what you've done. It's what you've done that's caused the enemy to come against you. But it's not what you've done that's going to get you through this. It's the next thing that you obey me in doing that's going to get you through this. See, when we run into a bad situation and we start going backwards to everything we've done so we don't deserve this, he said, you're going backwards and you might have done that, but what you need right now is not what you've done, but what you're about to do in obedience to the Spirit that's going to get you through this not what you've done. So the enemy's always trying to get us to go back to what we've done instead of what Jesus has done and how we're going to move forward in that. Right? And so he says, there's, there's good things that we're supposed to be walking. And turn over to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Again, we're not focusing. Don't anybody go out of here and say, Pastor Marcus is getting back to that works and away from grace. No, we're 100% on grace. We'll continue in that if you just hold on a minute. But there's an understanding that what the Bible says about this, and that is we can get what we're doing ahead, and then all of a sudden we think God owes us something. But God's already paid the debt. Right? And the good thing is, is if we come and say, well, then I just owe you. He says, no, we're in relationship with each other. We cooperate together if you understand relationship. You shouldn't be running off to do it without me. I'm not going to do it without you. We're going to keep moving. It's righteousness. So James chapter 2. Verse 
Verse 14, he says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Wow, we all have a resounding, yes, faith saves us for sure. (laughs) But James goes on to explain some things. We think, oh, man, where did James get off? Uh, Verse 15, it says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm, be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Right? So, again, as people of faith, we should be helping people, right? But he's given an example, an extreme example. He's not saying, listen, you don't have faith if you don't help somebody. He's saying, what good would it do if you said, you know what? I see you're in trouble. I believe that you should be warm and I believe that you should be fed. See you later. He said, well, that was a good pat on the back, but it didn't help me be warm and be fed. He said the same to say that you have faith and do nothing with it Right? It's the same as, you know, what, what good does it do to just say I have it and not put it to use, practical use and benefit? So, again, not taking away from that, but some people come and say that's our faith. Well, it is one example of our faith, but he's not using it to say your faith is, is, exam- is, is exemplified in somebody who's naked and destitute and you don't send them away. He's just saying what good would it do to say Well, bless you, be warm, be fed, and then do nothing to help them. I believe, I believe you should be warm and be fed, and I have some clothes in here, and I have some food, but go ahead and be warm and be fed. He said it'd be better to say, you need to be warm and be fed, and here I have some clothes and some food, and then send them on their way. That would be profitable, right? And so he's talking about our faith in that way. In verse 17, he says, thus also, faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, it's, it's there, it's existing, but it's not profitable. It's not alive and accomplishing something that it needs to. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. See, we get in that. Well, I'll... he says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works or a corresponding action is dead? Was not Abraham, the reason I brought this in, we're talking about the faith of Abraham and Romans. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works? Now, I'm going to stop there. That's not the end of what he's saying. Oh, my God. No. No. What are you saying? Paul just said in Romans he was not justified by works. This doesn't contradict. You have to just keep reading. He was justified by faith, but faith first carried him to a place that God tested him in what he believed with an example of works. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when, when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? So he believed God that he would have Isaac. He said, I can't do anything about this. The deadness of Sarah's womb, the deadness of, of, of Abraham because he was 100 years old. They could not have a son. They believed God and it accounted to them for righteousness. God gave them a son. And now he said, this is my son. Abraham, you get to be a steward of my son, the son of 
promise, the son that I promised you that you would be a father of many nations, that through Isaac, the nations of the world would be blessed because the Messiah was going to come. Abraham didn't see that. God saw that. But he also knew you believed me. But now that you got what I promised, what are you going to do with it? And the Bible said he tested him not with disaster. He tested him through obedience. You believed me. Will you trust me? You believed me. Will you trust me? So he said, take your son, your only son, and offer him. So the day he was, it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was justified, he believed God not just when he didn't see the promise, but when he had the promise in his hands, he proved that he believed God through obedience. So we're not trying to do all this stuff and offer up stuff before faith, but our faith produces something through our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. It produces righteousness. It cleanses us from sin. But when we're cleansed from sin, just as if we didn't do it, do we obey him and offer our lives in righteousness? Or do we say, well, now that I'm forgiven, I just go ahead and take my life and do what I want with it. Because Abraham had Isaac, and he could have done with Isaac whatever he wanted to do. But he chose to take Isaac and obey God. And it was in that act of obedience that he saw the grace and the mercy of God. It was in that place that God proved himself for all of eternity with the ram in the thicket. But it wasn't halfway up the mountain. It wasn't three-quarters of the way of the mountain that Abraham said, Listen, God, I'm proving to you that I'm going to do this. I'm halfway up the mountain. I'm all the way up the mountain. I mean, somewhere, I hope we get the hologram, we get the playback of this. I really want to see Isaac. We don't ever get to see Isaac going, this is cool, Dad. I mean, I'm sure he's like, what are we doing? And I know about sacrifices, but where's the sacrifice? And if I heard right, Dad, um, I'm it. But there's something going on in this conversation. And really, you know, he gets up there and, we're, hey, Isaac, help me, help me gather some wood for the sacrifice. Sure, Dad, I'll help. I mean, he's all on the altar. This is obedience to the end. Sometimes we're like, how, how far do I have to believe God? So he raises... The knife in obedience to God. And the angel says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's a ram in the thicket. I've offered my own sacrifice. What was that? That was all foretelling that God had the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That now if we'll believe him, not in our own ability, not in our own works, but in him, we don't have to sacrifice our life in that way but we sacrifice anything just in obedience to God and in the knowledge of the righteousness that we have in him all right let's go back to Romans chapter 4 Romans chapter 4 you all all right praise the Lord 
Romans chapter 4, verse 13. He says, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for, there is, uh, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is, of the, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist as though they did. And so here we just see this and understand that faith is, uh, your faith is in the one who promised and in the promised one. Your faith is in the one who promised. Your faith is in God and in Jesus Christ, right? And so the promise, when we look at the promise, we begin to understand that my faith, just like Abraham, is in the promise. Because the promise that came to Abraham was that through the promise of Isaac, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Why? Because God saw the beginning from the end and saw that through Isaac and that lineage, Jesus would come to save the whole world. And that was our promise. And there's faith in the promise. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that all the promises of God have their yes and their so be it in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God, everything that God has promised us, every single one has its yes and its amen in Christ Jesus. Yes and so be it. And then he goes on to say that in order for it to be activated for us, God says yes to us, but then we have to say yes to the promise. We have to say yes to the promise. So he said, every promise of God has its yes and its amen. Uh, turn over to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Y'all, I'm sure, know this uh, very well. Romans 10, 8. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your heart and in your mouth. And that it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now, Paul right here, he's actually quoting an Old Testament scripture. It says, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. So Paul, Paul again, he says, listen, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. And then he goes on to say, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so listen, when we start to believe in the promise of God, we believe in the promised one. We believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Because what he did for us opened access to everything that God has for us and everything that God promised us. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on a real quick soapbox. I don't do this very often. But I, I, as I've thought about it, I believe that it's necessary. There, there, you know, I, I've lived just long enough, pastor, just long enough to know that there's cycles of things that come through. But there's people out there bombarding the body of Christ right now about, again, once again, the faith message and things like that. And, you know, as you listen to them, they're, they're really pulling people out and they're causing division. 
And Paul was called upon to cause division a few times, and he says, I'll not do it. The Philippian church, they called on him, and he said, what, what about these people who are preaching just to make money? What about these people who are preaching for their own benefit and, and, and to make themselves famous? And Paul said, as long as Christ is preached, whether by pretense or by selfishness, if Christ is preached, then I'm going to be glad. Because he wouldn't get in and divide the body. He told the church at Corinth in his first letter, he said, listen, I have to feed you milk because you're immature. Why are you immature? Because there's division among you. Some say I'm of Paul. Some say I'm of Apollos. And there's people coming to divide the body of Christ. And they get into things like, be careful. Be careful of these people that have that health and wealth gospel. Well, wait a minute. When was the last time you read your Bible? John wrote to Gaius and he said, I'm praying for you that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Well, I think that's in the Bible. God, so when you go in and possess the land that I promised you, don't say it's of your own might and your own power that you have this, for it is the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth that his covenant may be established. Sometimes people abuse it, but listen, to say that God didn't say that he wanted to prosper you. The psalmist said, we give glory to God who takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Jesus Christ died and bore stripes upon his back and declared through the word that by his stripes you were healed. Jesus himself, who never changes, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. Jesus said, go preach the gospel to every creature. Those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Those who don't believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow them that believe. They'll cast out demons. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. If they drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. Somebody didn't just come up with that out of the blue to prosper themselves or to grow their church. Jesus said, this is what I died for. It's a promise of God, and it has its fulfillment in Jesus. Now, listen, if your faith is just in prosperity so you can have money, then you're off track. If your faith is in having a healthy body just so you can do whatever you want to, but if your faith is in Jesus, there's a promise of health. There's a promise of wholeness. Those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. There's a Greek word there that's used with a, a dynamic purpose. It's sozo. It doesn't just mean saved and get to go to heaven. It means saved from the destruction of the enemy. It means saved, prospered wholeness, right? Healing, deliverance, freedom. In that one word, it encompasses what God promised in deliverance from sin and destruction to live an abundant life. So when your faith is in Jesus and the promise of the Messiah, then with that, every promise of God accompanies Jesus. So when we look into Jesus and what he's done, Jesus paid the price 
so we can be healed. He paid the price so that we don't have to be poor and struggling. He paid the price so that our past and things that we've done aren't attached to us, but we are delivered to be fulfilled in life. That which was broken apart, he made whole once again. It's sheer division that comes, right? And it's nothing new. In the 80s, somebody gave me this big old thick book, you know. It was against all of really this prosperity and faith and health and all that stuff. Well, I just found out the other day, you know, and, and, and I won't mention names. I don't think that's right. I don't want them to do that. But, you know, just to, to, to let you know, this person wrote this book against all of that. I was golfing with someone one day, and they said, hey, have you ever heard of this person? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I have. Didn't say anything. He said, oh, well, down where I go, the, the country club that I, I, I uh, play on, he has a big old house on such and such a fairway. He said, it's a huge house, man. The guy has all kinds of money. What? He's against prosperity. <laughs> Not But maybe we divide it this way. Well, wait a minute. I didn't ask God for all that money. I went out and got it by myself. Oh, but wait a minute. The Bible says when you have houses and wells, don't say you got it of your own strength. So all I'm saying is we have to be careful. And people that come to divide the body, when Christ is being preached, you have to be very careful. They try to make sense, and they, they'll say, well, they'll say this, and they'll say that, and they do a rebuttal and a big debate about it, but it's faith in Jesus Christ, and if Jesus didn't deliver you from sin and put your life back together and everything that the devil destroyed, then why did Jesus die? Praise the Lord. Come on. And Paul's just addressing the same type of stuff. Judaizers would come back in and try to get people under the law, say, oh, yeah, that Paul, he's preaching. You know, we saw that last week. He was preaching grace, and they, they accused him of saying, you can just sin, and it doesn't matter. God will still forgive you. And he said, that's not what we're preaching. We're preaching grace and empowerment of God to stay out of sin. And so he had that. People would try to come undo and convince people that Paul wasn't preaching what, what God really wanted him to preach. But Paul said, listen, we're, we're just going to keep moving and declare what Jesus Christ has done for you. Don't get caught up in division and, and, and breakdown. We don't, we don't do that. I mean, actually, you know, I'm just saying this because I heard it, and, and, and we've seen people just pulled away from, I mean, they, they, they'll say, you know, man, I, I, here and everything's been going good, but what they said, and, you know, they'll tie it to connections from years ago that aren't true, and you just have to go, listen, I understand what God did for me, and it's blessed my life. I'm not going to all of a sudden take somebody I don't even know and something they've said and totally upend my life and my faith over somebody who's twisted it to pull me out. Paul wasn't for that. We shouldn't be for that. We shouldn't be talking against other people who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If Christ is being preached, we're part of the body. We continue to move on with whatever revelation we have and endeavor to grow in God and have faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's where our faith is, ultimately, is in Jesus Christ. 
not in ourselves, not in all the things. We've said this before. You know, it's like wisdom. So often, because Jesus has prosperity and health, we shoot for prosperity and health. But Proverbs says if you get wisdom, you get what wisdom has. Wisdom has whatever, long life in her right hand, riches and honor in her left hand, or you could switch hands. I'm misquoting that, I know, but the essence is there. I usually get it right, but it just didn't come up in me. But a lot of people are shooting for the riches and honor of the long life. Man, if you just embrace wisdom. I mean, I look at it this way. Stand up just for a moment. Right? Hold your hands out. I could look and go, wow, there's riches and honor. Right? Or I could just say, there's shame. Oh, now I got shame. I got riches. I got honor. I got long life. Right? Not that he has it, but he's a representative of wisdom in Jesus. <laughs> right? If we just get Jesus, we get everything Jesus has and provided for us. And it's easy to get off track and say, what I need right now, so could I grab that out of your hand? But if you just grab him, he grabs you, and you get everything that's in it. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, let's jump ahead just a little bit. We gotta, we gotta wrap her up. Romans chapter four. He said, "This is this is now Abraham." He says, "Who contrary to hope, because God calls those things that be not as though they were, who contrary to hope, in hope believed." In other words, against all odds, he believed God. You know, sometimes we're weighing the pros and the cons. What are the pros and the cons? But when the cons outweigh the pros, sometimes you just have to say, if God spoke to me and it seems the cons outweigh the pros, I'm just going to believe God. I'm just going to believe God. Right? Instead of saying, well, I'm not going to move because the cons outweigh the pros. Well, if it comes to a matter of God's instruction and the righteousness of God, we believe God even if it seems like the cons outweigh the pros. And so he goes on, he says, contrary to hope, believe in hope so that he became the father of many nations according to what is spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Come on, when we believe in Jesus, all he says is, listen, it may not look like it. It may not seem like you could ever get there. He said, but if you'll use the faith of God and start to say what God has said and call those things that be not as though they were, and when your hope starts to waver and it says, I, I really am not expecting good because of my circumstance, you turn it and in hope believe in God. And you say, well, you know what? I'm getting weak in faith right now. How do you strengthen your faith? You begin to, instead of getting weak, you strengthen your own faith. 
I mean, it's good to edify one another, but sometimes you're just going through it at night in your room when nobody's around. God, what about this? God, why isn't this happening? God, what's going on? And you're starting to feel like, huh, and you just have to say, huh, instead of, huh, because everything's going wrong, and huh, I don't see the way out, and huh, I don't know if I can believe God one more time. You stop right there, and you say, I can't do this, but I believe in the promise of Jesus Christ, and because he came and he fulfilled in every single promise that God's promised me as it's yes and it's so be it in him. So I get my eyes off the circumstances. I get my eyes off of the things that I'm going. I get my eyes on Jesus and everything that is and should be, everything that I need to be is in him. I begin to find myself in him when I see him. I begin to see my destiny in him when I see him. Not look past him, not look over him, not look around him, not look at me, but look at him. And I find myself in Christ who took my offenses upon himself, that everything that I did wrong and everything that I could see wrong would be enveloped and swallowed up in his goodness so that I could know that I'm justified not by everything that I've done or not done, what I've done right so that I deserve or what I've done wrong so that I don't deserve. He took all that on the cross and said, if you'll look at me, it won't be what you don't deserve or what you deserve. It'll all be about what God has promised you in your life through Jesus Christ. Thank God we can be delivered. Thank God we can be set free. Thank God there's wholeness. Thank God there's healing. Thank God there's a relationship with him that makes us right even though we've done wrong. We don't keep doing wrong just because when we realize, wow, I'm putting aside that wrong to be right with him. The only way I can do that is by a choice to believe him. Come on. Man, what hope do you have in him if you can't be delivered? If you've ever been bound by substance or you've been bound by worry or you've been bound by, by manipulation of people, you're like, thank God in Jesus there's a promise of freedom. Otherwise, we're stuck. Right? I mean, there's stuff that just comes that hammers you in life. I mean, it breaks you apart from about every fiber of your being. Man, I've been through situations that feel like, man, I got run over, and, and somebody should pick up the pieces, and somebody did. His name was Jesus. Come on. And the thing is, is for most of you, some of you were around and saw me scattered all over the place, but for most people, you'd say, no, you've never been broken. Why? Because he put it back together again like it hadn't been broken. So thank God for the promise of wholeness and deliverance, right? Thank God for salvation from ourselves. Our faith in Jesus Christ reveals all that he is, all that he has, and all that he's done for us. And so we don't have to strive to say, I deserve what you've done for me. We look and say, man, there's no way I could ever deserve it. I'm so thankful that you did that. But all of a sudden, when that life starts to come and team on the inside of you, you step up and say, what can I do with what you have given me? Because the moment you ask that, what can I do with what you've given me? He says, well, if you just take what I've given you, watch out. Because what I've given you is of me, and you might think it's not big right now, 
But if you take what I've given you and you do something with it, it's going to explode. It's not going to explode to make you famous. It's going to explode to show my goodness. And people's lives will be changed from what I put in your hands. Come on. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is ours through the knowledge of him and what he's done. Putting faith in that. Amen? Why don't you stand up? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word to us. Holy Spirit, help us to, to receive the word. That our faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but our faith would be in your power. Would be in Jesus Christ and all that you have and all that you have done for us. Holy Spirit, reveal to us, bring us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God and of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that as we begin to see you more clearly by revelation, then we see ourselves in you. We can only find ourselves in all truth when we find ourselves in you. So I thank you for revelation Knowledge coming to each one. As we step out of this place and we go through our week and the enemy tries to say we haven't done enough or we deserve from what we've done, we allow a humble boldness to come upon ourselves knowing that we don't deserve anything or, or, or we can't earn anything, but because you've empowered us, we're going to be bold to share your goodness with people around us. Those who don't know and those who are without hope, we carry the hope of their eternal life. So stir us and give us eyes to see people around us, what their condition is. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us that we might believe you and obey and not take our own fear or our own situation upon ourselves and say we can't do that, but we'll see what you've done for us and know that you've done it for them. We'll be humble because it's not of us, but bold because we know it's of you. Be bold to share with someone who says, I don't know about Jesus. I've done too many wrong things. And tell them it's not what you could do or not do. It's what he's already done. For people who say, I'm doing just fine without him. We say, you know, it's not whether you're fine or not right now. It's what he's done for you to make your life everything it was intended to be. God, help us to stir in that love that you put in our heart by the Holy Spirit. To see things aright. To see people aright. To embrace that relationship with you that you've made right. And we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise for all of the miracles that we'll see. All of the transformation. Not because we're something, but because you're our everything. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Say so as we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Bark seeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.